Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Bipolar Black Girl. My name is Mayor Fortin. I am your host. Today, I welcome back Dr. Christine Crawford. Dr. Crawford is a psychiatrist working out of Boston University's Medical Center. She has given us brief introductions to both bipolar disorder and ADHD. This time, we're going to discuss borderline personality disorder, or BPD. Welcome back, Dr. Crawford. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me back. Thank you again for agreeing to come on and um, help us understand these these issues a little bit better. Absolutely. Really looking forward to this discussion. So um, I was diagnosed with BPD, and I'm still uh, pretty unaware of of what it means exactly. So I was wondering if you could go over just um, sort of like some of the terms that are associated with BPD and and how a BPD person's mood is affected and and what does it look like? Mm -hmm. So borderline personality disorder is a way of describing a pattern of behavior that we oftentimes see in particular people, right? When folks hear about the phrase personality disorder, sometimes they often associate that with a bad thing, right? But there are people who are living with borderline personality disorder, as well as other personality disorders who are able to live productive lives who are doing really well. But when it comes specifically to borderline personality disorder, what we notice is that there's this pervasive pattern in which there are some challenges with relationships that they have with other people. They can be really intense. Sometimes they can be really unstable. Oftentimes, people who have borderline personality disorder are really kind of struggling with their sense of identity. And that can be wrapped up into some of their relationships and why it is they so closely attach to other people, because it may be hard for them to, to feel fulfilled personally within the side of themselves. They may not have a stable sense of their self-image, um, and that's why these relationships are so important because their relationship with themselves is often challenged. Um, we do see people who have borderline personality disorder who've experienced trauma in the past, which also kind of filters into some of the factors into some of the relationships that we see in terms of this fear of um, abandonment and the, the close and intense attachments that they may have. And, and for some people with borderline personality disorder, because of, as I had mentioned before, there is this unstable kind of sense of themselves in terms of who they are. They may also have some challenges just regulating their emotions. So they can experience um, really extreme bouts of anger and frustration. Um, they may get um, you know, lash out at other people relatively quickly. And then for some, given that it's just hard for them to regulate themselves um, internally, they experience a lot of intense emotions, they can ad adapt some um, challenging behaviors around how to tolerate those really big emotions. And so for some, they can have thoughts about hurting themselves and may engage in behavior in which they're cutting themselves. And with the cutting is so that they can feel something, so they can feel like they're a part and within their body because they're feeling so detached. And for other people, they may have recurrent thoughts of suicide. So that's just a summary of some of the features that we see in people who have borderline. Um, and again, it's just 
ongoing pattern of behaviors, not something that just pops up when someone um, becomes an adult. We oftentimes see over the course of someone's, you know, uh, younger years, their adolescent years and the young adult years in which this pattern um, has been present. And so what are um, some of the signs? And well, first, what what causes BPD? Is it um, nurture? Is it nature? Um, and then what are some of the um, symptoms associated with like with uh, I know it's about a fear of, of abandonment. So so what kind of goes hand in hand with that? Mm-hmm. In terms of where personality disorders come from, it's really hard because we're talking about something that is super complex, and that's just how one functions in the world, how they navigate their relationships, and how it is they understand themselves in relation to the world. So it's really complicated. We know that it's not necessarily associated with any particular genetic factors or anything that seems to be driven by um, biology. But what we do see is that relationships in early childhood really do have a profound impact on how it is that one develops their personality. And so we do see this association between people experiencing different types of trauma, whether that be neglect. And neglect is one of the most harmful forms of trauma to experience as a child because you want attention. You want an adult to care about you, to recognize you, to meet all of your needs. And when you're not getting those needs fulfilled by an adult and you're growing up, you can feel unfulfilled and feel empty. And that's something that can carry on with you as you enter into adulthood and you're looking for relationships to kind of fill you up. We also see people who've experienced other forms of trauma, whether that be physical abuse or or sexual abuse, and they may have had the experience in which they've had to detach from their body because living in the present reality was too painful, was too intense. So we do see some people who have borderline personality disorder who who can lose chunks of time, and that's something that we call dissociation. And when people dissociate and they're detached from their body, they're not fully present in the moment, it can feel like time is passing by. And so for some people to feel more grounded in the moment, they may have to engage in some behaviors that make them feel their body. And that's why we do see some cutting behaviors that can emerge from this. So besides trauma that experienced in in early childhood um, and also just a pattern of relationships that someone's been able to to form. Those are the things that we see most heavily influence um, whether or not someone over time can go on to develop a borderline personality disorder. It's not to say that everyone who's experienced neglect or various forms of trauma who have had unstable relationships with adults in their lives when they're kids is going to go on to have this condition. But it's something for us to kind of reflect upon when we're thinking about our own lives or the lives of our loved ones who may be exhibiting um, some of these features. And so what what does um, what does it look like? What do the features look like? So sometimes we can see uh, a couple of key um, features in people who have borderline personality disorder. One thing that we do see is we see some impulsive behavior. 
people with BPD can um, be impulsive in a way that it can almost be viewed as self-sabotaging for some. They may find themselves in um, relationships that are kind of risky, and they know and they have this awareness that it is a high-risk situation, whether that be the actual partner whether that be engaging in high-risk sexual behavior. Um, we also see that there is um, some impulsivity around um, doing some reckless behavior, such as driving recklessly or spending lots of money. And some may say, well, this kind of sounds like bipolar disorder when someone is manic. Um, but rather than it being these episodes of impulsive behavior, we're seeing more of a persistent pattern in which people with BPD might, may find themselves in situations in which they just tend to be more impulsive and act um, on their impulses. We also, as I mentioned before, see people who may be engaging in self-harm by cutting, but also other people who may be using um, and making threats when it comes to suicide for a variety of different reasons. Number one, recurrent thoughts of suicide could be due to the fact that it's just hard for them to cope with these really intense emotions. And contemplating suicide is one coping strategy for navigating these big um, emotions. But also the other function for some people when they disclose to folks that they have these thoughts of suicide is that it's another way to bring other people close to them and to make it such that they feel as though people care about them, that people are responding to them. Some people may label that as attention-seeking behavior, which can have like a negative connotation to it. But really, that is that individual's way of communicating to someone else that they're experiencing a lot of distress. I don't want to be alive. I want to kill myself. And then their parent, their, their spouse, their friends come to them and provide them with that emotional support that they need. And so we do see recurrent thoughts of suicide as something um, that happens. The other thing is you're probably noticing, Mayor, that I'm talking a lot about relationships with people, right? And yeah. that's kind of the ongoing theme when it comes to personalities, um, disorders. It's just how are you relating to people? You know, what is it about your personality that makes it easier or more difficult to form relationships? So we see that people who have BPD can engage in something called splitting. And what splitting is, is that you're either all good to the person who has BPD. You are all good in the sense that they idolize you. They admire you. You are the best person in the world. You can do absolutely no harm. And then you do one thing that upsets the individual with BPD. And then you're on the other side of the fence in which you are all bad. Right. There is no gray area sometimes with people with BPD when it comes to their interactions with people. It's either you're all good or you're all bad. And that can be really challenging for people in the lives of folks who are living with BPD to navigate because they're like, oh, I thought we were all cool. I thought it was good, but now I'm on your bad side. Right. And that splitting can also extend beyond just an individual person, but even groups of people. So they can split groups of people saying that everyone at school is awful, they're terrible, but everyone at my job, they're amazing. And they're, they're you know, they're, they're, you know, um, folks here are good and they're bad over here. 
or they may even do splitting within groups and they may say something to you being like, oh, you know, this and that and the third and this and that. And then they may be saying something completely different to the other person. And that can create splitting, internal splitting within a group itself, such that the people involved are kind of at odds because of the person in the middle with BPD who's maybe giving different pieces of information to create some conflict. Now, they're not doing this to be malicious. They're not doing this intentionally. It's just this pattern of behavior that they're accustomed to being in. I was going to say, it sounds like it's manipulation, but it's really not intentional. Um, it's just, it's, it's not that that's not the intent behind it. That's right. And that's what's so important for, for us to be able to appreciate and recognize whenever we're having a discussion about any of the personality disorders and including borderline personality disorder, which um, unfortunately um, people tend to have these negative connotations associated with it. But it's important for us to remember that this is the best way in which the individual of BPD can communicate what it is that they need. This is the most effective way that they have found to connect with people mm-hmm. and to feel a sense of belonging and to feel a sense of connectedness and, and closeness. And when we're able to recognize this more of a function of the person just trying to do the best that they can with the tools that they have. Hopefully we can have a little bit more empathy when it comes to um, some of these more challenging behaviors that we may see in people who have BPD. Yeah, I have um, what I like to call toddler meltdowns. Like I will literally act like a toddler. And I think that that is um, that's something associated with BPD. Yeah, it's really the the challenge around regulating emotions, right? And it can oftentimes feel as though folks are going from zero to 100 when there could be some sort of trigger. Mm -hmm. And again, this is not the person's fault. A lot of it has to do with some of the tools that we acquired when we were young to teach ourselves how to regulate our bodies, right? And for some people who have BPD, they didn't have opportunities over the course of their childhood to learn some of the tools and strategies for regulating intense emotions, whether that be the environments that they were in and the adults who were in those environments and how they were responding to stress, right? Mm -hmm. And then how it was that people were responding to our stress when we were children. And so if people weren't responding to us in a way that helped us calm down, that helped us nervous system regulate ourselves, we're going to constantly be in a state of hyperarousal because we didn't learn how to do that from other people. Mm -hmm. Because the way that it works is you have a loved one, your mother, dad, a caregiver provides that external kind of regulation and support, whether that be through a hug, whether that by be by telling you that they love you and everything is going to be all right. And then you internalize it and you're like, okay, I'm going to hold on to that. I know I'm going to be all right. I've been all right before. But for some people, they've missed that, right? And Mm -hmm. so they don't know how to internalize these kind of self-regulation skills. So when they become adults and they become upset, they just pop off because the brakes aren't able to be as quickly applied because they weren't being applied throughout their childhood, right? And so now they're playing catch up. And so that's why, you know, sometimes we do see 
some of these meltdowns. Um, and it could be hard for folks to put themselves back to together. Um, but again, a lot of this has to stem from relationships early on in their childhood. Yeah, I also noticed that um, a lot of aggression, um, a lot of uh, wanting to fight or, you know, always just in that kind of mode of, of being angry, like not so much anymore, which is something else I want to get into after, which is, is it treatable? Um, and what's the best, best method for treating uh, borderline? But um, can you talk about uh, sort of why there's so, I mean, is the anger caused by such a great fear of abandonment that you just, you have no other way of expressing it? Yeah, so the anger could be due to the fact that when a disappointment happens, that the skills and the tools that are needed to tolerate the disappointment aren't within reach. It takes them a little bit longer to be able to access those skills and those tools. The other thing, too, is that because a lot of what it is that they do, a lot of who it is that they surround themselves with, is tied up in the, into their sense of identity as well, right? And so when things don't go well, it can just feel like the the floor underneath them is unsteady. They're like, wait, this was supposed to be going right. Like I put so much effort into this and people helped me out and ah, this none of this is working out for me, right? Because right. things are really tied up into activities, into people, into things. And when those things aren't working in the way that they should be, for some, when they don't have that strong internal self, uh, sense of self-esteem and self-worth, the smallest thing can trip them up because they're somewhat empty and hollow inside that they don't have the capability to be like, oh, let me just brush that off. That's not a reflection of my ego or anything. That's just this little thing. But for some people, it can just feel like it takes over um, their entire bodies. And so when it comes to navigating some of these challenging moments, because they can feel super duper overwhelming, there is a treatment approach that is really helpful for people who have borderline personality disorder, and that's called dialectical behavioral therapy, also known as um, DBT. I'm curious, Mayor, have you heard about DBT? Is that something that you're aware of? Uh, yes, it is. And I have actually read four pages in the workbook. <laughs> so, <laughs> you are a DBT master. Yes. yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. And, you know, the reason why I ask is because um, for a lot of people who might have already been in treatment before for borderline personality disorders, often the first line um, treatment option that is recommended to people, which um, is why I had asked, but also any form of therapy is really hard, right? Because you can go and learn the skills, you can read the workbooks, but it's another thing to incorporate some of those practices into your daily life. Mm -hmm. And DBT is one of those things where it's like, even if you don't have borderline personality disorder, the principles of DBT could be beneficial to everybody, but we just need to practice it <laughs> in, our, in our daily interactions. Um, so at its core, DBT has um, four principles that it really helps people 
um, focus on and strengthen skills around them. Number one is mindfulness. Being able to look withinward, to understand how your body is feeling, to understanding what type of thoughts you have in your body, your, what type of thoughts you have on your mind and how it affects your body and the different sensations that you're experiencing. So that when you notice that your uh, hands are clenching up in a fist, when your forehead starts to burrow, when you're getting tense, then you start to notice your heart is being really fast. These are all of the signs that our body uses to communicate to us that things are going to pop off soon. But for some people with BPD, it's hard to be in tune and mindful of what is happening in their body. The other thing is distress tolerance. So kind of going back to the, oh, if you experience a disappointment, you have a temper tantrum and it's really hard to put yourself together and to be able to deal with disappointment. And so there are actual concrete skills on how to increase your frustration tolerance or also known as your distress tolerance so that things can happen to you, but they don't stick with you and you can roll them off your shoulders a little bit easier. I talked a lot about earlier about relationships and some challenging dynamics that can exist in relationships with others when people have BPD. And the third one has to do with interpersonal effectiveness. So learning tools on how to communicate your feelings, your thoughts, and your needs to others in a way in which other people can listen and to communicate to them when you don't feel as though you're being listened to, right? So that you don't just kind of label someone's behavior as, oh, they're automatically a bad person. They didn't pick up the phone. That means that they hate me and this and that and the third, right? So you kind of learn how to think about other people's behaviors and not kind of automatically assign judgment to it, but Mm -hmm. kind of open up your mind of possibilities as to why they may be communicating and interacting with you in a certain way. And then last but not, not least is emotion regulation. So how can you kind of calm yourself down when you notice that you're feeling very upset or when you notice that you're feeling very sad and you're using thoughts of suicide or cutting as an option? Let's try to find other tools and strategies to kind of help um, regulate your emotions when you're experiencing really big and intense emotions. That's that's perfect. I mean, that's basically what I got from the four pages. And um, <laughs> but that's just because I, I mean, I'd say I'd read 20 pages. I just scanned them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have found um, breathing exercises to be very helpful. Um, staying present um, and really keep staying in check with my body and like you know because I can feel that I mean it like bubbles up and it can bubble up so fast and if I don't you know catch it it just it's it just happens you know but if if I'm in a situation where I'm with a person usually my husband I will apologize for it immediately and try to tell him you know this is my BPD reaction or this is why I think I'm reacting this way so that it helps him to understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I think just communicating to um, people in your in your life and for folks who are listening too, I do think it's helpful to be open and honest with, with folks around how it is you respond to stress, how it is that you respond to difficult um, interactions and to have these conversations. Um, 
openly, right? So that when there is an interaction that may not go as favorably, um, the fear of losing that person, the fear of abandonment, my hope is that it would be lessened because that person would say, you know, I understand that this is a pattern of yours. I understand that you're working really hard to overcome this. Um, but if they don't know that this is a pattern or if you deny that is a pattern, then you won't be able to get the help and support that you need when you're making those missteps, you know, and they're bound to happen for, for everybody. But I think the way that you communicate to your husband, you know, about some of these interactions is it's really helpful. Um, you know, and people need to realize that even though I said that borderline personality disorder is a pervasive pattern of, you know, certain traits, it, it, it can be managed. It is highly treatable. And like you said, you know, thinking about the deep breathing um, exercises that you do, it's really a practice in figuring out how you can be more inside of your body instead of having things go outside of your body, right? And so these moments in which we're yelling, we're lashing out, in which we're, you know, having temper tantrums, that's really our way of externalizing all of the painful feelings that we're experiencing inside because we don't want to like process those really nasty, dark, intense feelings. We're like, ew, get it out, right? right. So we do things like be angry, be upset, cut ourselves so we can even get some of that out. And mm -hmm. people, for some, when they cut, they experience a sense of relief because they're able to relieve that tension of all the pent up kind of um, energy and negative energy that they have inside, they're able to release it while cutting. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a cutter. I'm more of a puncher, like a wall mm. puncher or, you know, I don't, I, yeah, I don't really want the side of blood. I just want the pain to stop, you know, or to focus on different pain, you know. Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, punching a wall, Sometimes people hit themselves. Some people I used to do that. Will burn themselves or scratch themselves. It really is a, a strategy to distract yourself from those really intense thoughts to then focus on the pain. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Crawford. That was very informative. And um, I feel like I know more about what I'm going through. And I hope that others can um, understand what they themselves are going through or their loved ones are experiencing. Absolutely. You know, I really appreciate these conversations that you have because there are people who are living their lives with some of these conditions. And I just hope that folks feel more comfortable talking about it and reaching out to other people to get the help and support that they need. So thank you for your podcast. Thank you, Dr. Crawford. Mm -hmm.